I just gotten out and finished and I started seeing that that light at the end of the tunnel and kind of fell under the fallacy of uh, happily ever after, kind of starting to live the, uh, the good life, as they say, and then I wound up with a stroke. Welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project, the place for stories that matter. I'm your host, Steve Shepard. Meet Bevan Choate. At 36, after a grueling residency and surgical specialization, he was a full-fledged urologist. As he likes to explain, a urologist is a surgical cyborg and the only surgical specialist that's actually mentioned in the Hippocratic Oath because it says, I will not cut for stone. We use lasers to treat stones, robots to yank cancerous prostates, and general irreverence when the going gets tough. Despite this self-adulatory salvo, I wasn't much like the surgeons you see on television. I drove a beat-up car, paid down student loans, and genuinely loved my patients. It was my calling, my purpose in life. Then, on December 3rd of 2020, the music stopped for Bevan. At 36, he suffered a life-threatening stroke. After nearly dying twice, he ultimately underwent three brain surgeries, and after months in the hospital and endless rehab, he finally went home with an aluminum walker in February of 2021. During the months of therapy that he had to go through to rebuild his coordination and regain his strength, Bevan wrote The Stroke Artist, his book about recovering from a catastrophic brain injury from the perspective of a young surgeon. But it's more than that. Bevan's book is not only about physical recovery. It's about the things he learned about himself, his life, and the incredible gift of friends and family. Bevan and I have a lot in common. We're both originally from Texas, and in fact, we both spent time at Texas Tech University. I'm Bevan Choate. I'm a a 37-year-old urologist and grew up in a cattle ranching family. They told me from an early age they didn't want me to grow up to be a cowboy. They just said the landscape's changing. It's, uh, It's too hard to make a living at it anymore. So they said, do what you love. And um, I, I liked science. You know, I was kind of a, a sciencey kid. About midway through college, uh, I wanted to go into medicine. I figured that was a pretty noble application of science. And so I, I said, I'm just going to be a Spanish major. I love Spanish. You know, I grew up speaking Spanish and, uh, you know, I'd like to learn more about it. And so that's what I did. And I, I got my quantifiable skill from the undergraduate program at the University of Texas, um, got into medical school and went to Texas Tech and just kind of kept making my way out west where there were mountains. That's where I am. Bevan eventually settled in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's where he practices today. But first, he had to complete his studies. You know, the urology residency is a five-year program, and it's still still a pretty tough residency. You know, it's a surgical residency, it's five years, and you take home call, which home call sounds pretty nice. You get to take call from home, but uh, you really are rarely home. Your home becomes the hospital and you just sort of live there and uh, often work, you know, over a hundred hours a week. But uh, so a pretty grueling residency, very intense, but, you know, I just gotten out and finished and I started seeing that, that light at the end of the tunnel and, and kind of fell under the fallacy of uh, happily ever after and uh, got a really great job with great partners and everything. That was kind of my main driver for, in terms of career, just, just love the people I work around kind of starting to live the, uh, the good life as they say. And then, um, and then I wound up with a stroke. 
So here he was, mid-30s, at the top of his professional game as a urologist. You know, I'm a, I'm a doctor, and I have to say that I didn't even know that I was having a stroke. You know, I, th- I thought there's no way in hell common things occur commonly. How could I be having a stroke, period? You know, I'm, at this point, I'm 35 years old. You know, I'm running 12 miles a week, going to the gym, eating fairly healthy. No way I'm having a stroke. But I, so I, I woke up with vertigo, you know, hit the ground like a ton of bricks. Um, I didn't really know which way it was up or down. Started throwing up. That should have been my first clue. But I thought, no way, I, I have like ear infection or benign positional vertigo, something of that, because there's no way I'm having a stroke. You know, I'm healthy. But I did. And this is where things started to happen pretty quickly. My wife was the one that actually convinced me to go to the ER. And they kept asking me, you know, do you want a CT scan? And I said, no way, <laughs> because I know what that means. I know what you, at this point, I'm thinking, I know what you guys are going to find. And uh, lo and behold, they found a stroke. And the sad thing was, was that I could actually read the CT. And I, you know, I'm a urologist. I don't know how to read a head CT. But when I saw it, I said, that looks awful. <laughs> they said, yep, you had a stroke. Once they knew that Bevan had suffered a stroke, they quickly transferred him to the university hospital because it was the only place in New Mexico at the time that was equipped to deal with such a serious cerebrovascular accident. Things kind of went from bad to worse. The, uh, because I'm so young, I have a larger brain than my older adult counterparts. And so there was there's no room for it to go when all the swelling occurred. Kind of like a closed head injury. You know, it's like my everything's swelling inside my skull, but there's no place for it to go. And so then things start happening. Like, you know, breathing gets erratic, my heart rate plummets, blood pressure goes up, you know, the classic triads and things that you hear about in medical textbooks, but you never actually see. And then it was all happening to me. And so then it was more or less three emergent brain surgeries. They actually removed about 15% of my brain overall. So I don't even have a full brain. That's always my excuse when I forget to put up the dishes or whatnot. But uh, things went from very bad to very worse. You know, I I got a a condition called ARDS, which is, I believe, has like a 40% mortality rate. And uh, I got a very bad pneumonia. Somehow I never got COVID, which was was very bizarre. I was just incredibly ill, about as sick as you'd want to be and still expect to walk out of a hospital. So after three brain surgeries, the loss of a significant chunk of his brain and nearly dying twice during the ordeal, Bevan finally left the hospital. When I got out, I, I couldn't even stand. I couldn't walk. I was, I was so weak. I had lost like 40, 50 pounds and, <laughs> and through lots of you know, rehab and so forth, I, was, I at least left a facility with a walker, but uh, I, was, I was walking nonetheless. But there were no really comprehensive stroke facilities for recovery, in a, especially a younger person in New Mexico. So my wife and I drove to Dallas to go to uh, Baylor Scott and White, where they did, I think, I think it was about six weeks of intensive rehab. I did start regaining slowly a lot of functions, and uh, we stayed with some relatives and, and had a good old time in Dallas. But during that good old time, Bevan began to realize something, something that changed him. But yeah, I eventually made it out. But during that process, I really felt like uh, useless. Here I was at the top of my field in a in a subspecialized specialty, basically, you know, and uh, you know, working with million dollar robots and and things like that. And then now all of a sudden, I'm doing 
you know, worksheets about, about Jenny's bake sale, you know, with, with the cognitive therapist to try to, to try to get my logic working again. And uh, so I just felt kind of like I was at this upper echelon of life and now, now back down to kind of starting all over again. And so during that process, I, I kind of felt like uh, I have all this extra time. I feel like, I, you know, I need to be utilizing every second of this extra time. It's just kind of you know, horrible type A nature. And so I, I began doing things that I was, you know, at, at least at one point passionate about, like, uh, and things that I could actually do, like writing and painting. Which brings us to the stroke artist. I think I'd always had at least some kind of passion for writing, at least, at least reading, that's for sure. But um, in, in medicine, you know, you're, you're not really lauded for being a good writer, but you are valued by, by patients for your ability to communicate. In urology, you're kind of, you kind of have a, you know, a sort of like a urology husband or wife, like it, you're, it's, they take two residents per year in our, in our program. And so they pretty much become your, your best friend or your worst enemy. You, there's kind of no options because you're with them all the time. And so I had this really great friend. Uh, his name was Jordan Brady. He's out in uh, uh, North Carolina. We were best of friends. And, and I was telling him about all this stuff afterwards. And I, you know, I was telling him all the funny stories about how the, uh, the new nurse had, had catheterized me. And the whole time I'm trying to coach this person, they take none of my advice and they end up, you know, trying to kill me basically. And, uh, and so he, he started laughing about some of these stories and he said, man, you should really write these things down. And I, and I kind of said, no way, like I, uh, hell no, you know, I don't really want to remember any of these things. And uh, now he said, no, 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 just do it. You'll, you'll think yourself later. And so I said, all right, my whole reason for agreeing was more or less that um, I needed to do some typing because I, that's a big part of my job. And I think it would be an excellent rehab skill or exercise in order to get my left hand functioning again. So I started, I started typing and then I started writing some of these things down, some of the funnier stories. And then after about two pages or so, it just kind of started taking on a life of its own. And uh, then I kind of had like an epiphany that, uh, hey, this, this may be useful to other people. You know, there, there, I know there are a lot of books probably written about strokes and, and some of them are, are doctors. But what I found was that there weren't a lot of people that uh, were actual clinicians or surgeons that had had strokes and then been able to, you know, sort of write about it in our language and then, you know, the, sort of the language of the, of the patient. And I said, well, maybe, you know, maybe I could kind of bridge that gap and maybe this would be useful, um, you know, for, for other people going through a major medical catastrophe or a stroke. And so then I just got, I got ultra motivated by that. And, the, and then the writing thing kind of became this thing that I had to do every single day. And, um, uh, and then it just took off from there. Writing a book is a serious undertaking, and it's not for the faint of heart. I asked Bevan what he got from the process, what he liked about it. Human communication. That's what I like most about, about writing is, is almost like it's almost like a form of, of translation. Sometimes it's like you're translating. It's like a translation of your subconscious. Maybe it's a translation of other people's subconscious. Or maybe it's just plainly like a translation of one aspect of life to another, like medicine to for the patient and so forth. And so I think that's kind of one of the things that I learned the most from writing this book is like, okay, I'm going to say this how I would say this. And then I'm going to think about, okay, what, like someone reading this, what would they, what would they think if they read this? It would probably sound like 
Greek or, or just ridiculous. And then, and then you kind of think of, well, what am I trying to convey? You know, what, what do I mean? What, you know, kind of like an interesting dive into communication. I feel like after writing it, I'm better at communicating with my patients now, just like as if we were just sitting and chatting over a beer or something like that, as opposed to, it was like this, some kind of like deep dive into human communication. And I wondered how having the stroke and the process of writing a book about the experience affected Bevan as a medical professional and as a person. I think it changed me for the better, no, no question. Um, and, and I know that that sounds a little bit cliche, but I, I think we really have to kind of tap into like the, the stoic roots here and say like, you know, life is, uh, you know, life is life. It's, it's, it's never going to be easy and it's never going to be boring. And I think um, lots of potentially bad things are going to happen, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's how we react to them and how we persevere that, that makes us who we are. I think beforehand, I didn't really recognize that. And I think that there was some kind of egotism to that. And I know it's, that's another cliche, you know, it's like, oh yeah, well, well doctors are egotists. And, um, and in my mind, you know, I kind of thought, well, yeah, an egotist is someone who drives a, a red Corvette and, uh, you know, spends all their money and, and, you know, wears gold chains and is a flashy human being and talks about how great their job is and so forth. And, and I kind of found that that's not, you know, that's definitely not who I was, but it, it's all like, in a sense, I was kind of self-absorbed that if I, if I treat, you know, enough people that I'll be a whole person, if I can help so many people, then I'll be whole, I'll be happy and all these. And, and I think these, these concepts like happy, happiness, happily ever after success and all these things are just, they're kind of like false, um, you know, narratives. It really made me kind of step back and say, you know, what does actually make me happy is, I mean, yeah, sure. You know, my, my job is, is, is great. And I, I love, you know, some of the things I'm, I'm, uh, I have the opportunity to do, but what else makes me happy? Well, you know, my wife, my dog, my family, like, uh, you know, spending quality time with friends and things like that. You know, you think of this from like an economics perspective, everyone's telling you to, to diversify, well, I, I certainly didn't do that. You know, I, I definitely put all my eggs in in this one basket of just being, you know, the best urologist I could be. Then something happened. That's my fault. I didn't I didn't really diversify my life enough. But this gave me kind of an opportunity to sit back and kind of think, okay, look, this is this is the way things are now. Do you want the next 40 years of your life to be miserable and thinking, you know, well, what could have been and so forth? Or do you do you want to maybe, hey, take a look at all those things that do actually bring you happiness and see if you can pursue those and maybe help others in the in the process, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of relearning how to live. <laughs> we all have blind spots, and one of the most glaring isn't professional. It's personal. When our lives get out of balance, when we spend too much time thinking about work and not enough thinking about friends and family and life outside of work, we suffer sometimes without realizing it. If you sort of think that your success and, and your happiness is kind of the only important thing in life, you're going to fall short, you know, and, and I, I did. And, and I, I kind of had some time to realize that like, hey, it's not about me, it's other people. It's about helping other people, being able to accept that sometimes other people have to help you. It was definitely my blind spot. And, um, and I think it's important to have people in your life that expose those. And it has to be generally done so, you know, kind of a gentle way that comes out of love and, and uh, curiosity. If you ever hit catastrophe in your life, 
something goes wrong, there's always this sort of aftermath, like um, you know, where, where the dust settles. And and I would say in that in that period where the dust is settling, take a look at yourself, look inward, and you know, re-examine where you are in life. Are you happy? The things that actually make you happy, and focus on those. Be grateful for them. And then maybe maybe explore why those things make you feel that way. You know, see if you can't realign your life to sort of follow in those directions. Dr. Bevan Choate, urologist, stroke survivor, artist, writer. His book is The Stroke Artist. It's a great read. And if you'd like to see some of Bevan's artwork, please visit him on Instagram at Bevan Choate. That's spelled B-E-V-A-N-C-H-O-A-T-E. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, and I just want to take a few additional seconds to thank you for the gift of your time. I started this program because I believe that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. If you've been a listener for a while, you know that the only thing that ties the episodes together is that each one covers a story that deserves to be told, and that each story is something that you should be curious about. I hope you enjoyed the journey we covered in this program, and if you did, please take a couple of minutes to write a brief review wherever you get your podcasts. I cannot tell you how much it means and how valuable it is to have those reviews. From my heart, thank you, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.